A different future starts with you. That's why GoDaddy does more than help you find a name. You can create, sell, and get found online so any small business can make a change. We need a new generation of thinking. Your way of thinking. Start different at GoDaddy.com. COVID-19 patients need your help. If you've fully recovered from COVID-19 or unknowingly been exposed to it, you may have the antibodies that could help COVID-19 patients recover. Donate blood and receive testing for COVID-19 antibodies. Visit Vitalant.org today to schedule an appointment to donate blood. That's V-I-T-A-L-A-N-T dot Help save lives and schedule your appointment at Vitalant.org. You could help save lives. This is an ode to Napa Cabbage. Of all the cabbages on all the cabbage farms, only you have the crisp crunch worthy of our Bibigo Korean dumplings. No other cabbage would do, because no other cabbage tastes like you. We love you, Napa Cabbage. Just don't tell Green Onion. Napa Cabbage, one of many obsessively crafted ingredients in every hearty, flavorful Korean dumpling from Bibigo. Go handcrafted. Go Bibigo. Authentic Korean dumplings now in the freezer aisle. This is Podco Media Networks. Hey, everybody. This is Elle Wolf of The Further Podcast. Stay tuned for part two of my conversation with Joe Chernov, in which we're going to talk about subjectivity in marketing and what makes good marketing good, as well as some of our favorite brands in both B2B and B2C and what we think they do really well. Hope you enjoy. So I want to like change gears a little bit and sort of talk about objectivity marketing (laughs) like about where good ideas come from and like what good actually looks like where do your best ideas come from i read this interview with the singer tom waits and he said like his come to him when he drives and he used to pull over on the side of the road and like cut all the way across traffic and like get over and like jot it down in a notebook and then he got tired of doing that and he just sort of got older and more tired and now he looks up at the sky and he says if you really want me to write this song bring it to me when i stop (laughs) Um, (laughs) oh my god i totally feel that way i used to like whip out an evernote and now i'm like hopefully i'll remember that later I identify with it a bit. Like Alan Gannett, his book talks about like the myth of the lightning striking. But to be honest with you, I wish you could give me a topic and I could give you an idea on it. The challenge is I have a random set of ideas and then I have to kind of contort them to fit the topic. And if they're not too dissimilar, yeah. then it's a good one. And and so, I, you know, I don't know. That makes sense. I've actually, I think I've seen, I've seen you do that before. And yeah, you could find a lot of homes for ideas if you didn't work in B2B software, right? The, the challenge is the connective yeah. tissue, right? The challenge is like, how can I apply this in such a way that it makes sense for the business? You actually said something really smart about this. I won't say what you said, but I want to see if it comes out. I mean, like, so how much of it is like derivative from things you've already done? How much originality is there really in the world? But like, I mean, is it always like it's built off something you've already done or thought about or some great success you had? There's been so many times that I thought I had this like totally original idea, like cut from virgin cloth. And then I'm like, I've seen somebody did the same exact thing. And I'm like, oh my God, am I a plagiarist? Like you should be writing it down. That's why you're like, I should write down all the things I did to figure out if I did them before. Like what was it? Paul McCartney said he had been singing yesterday and thought the melody sounded so familiar that he had to have ripped it off. But it ended up being his own song. But like, So there's a yeah. lot of times that I'm not sure if it was my idea or if I like, you know, inadvertently nixed it. 
what you said, not letting your past success like be the barometer for future. You were like, can't believe that it'll always work again. Like, and I've thought about that. I'm like, and that's why I don't go into a new role with like my bag of tricks anymore. Cause like the bag of tricks, like one of them might work or they might work in different ways, but it's never the same play. I find it a little depressing to have a bag of tricks, honestly. Like, I kind of feel like the Willie Loman of content where it's like, oh, here he goes with his grande guy. And I put the briefcase on the table. It's all I got. My pride gets in the way. And so, I, you know, I'm not going to uh, do that. That's hard, though. I mean, it's hard. It's hard to be like, you know, creative and innovative. And like, it's hard to do that again and again, don't you think? Yeah, but like, do you think do you think they want to still sing Jesse's Girl, right? right? Like, I got new songs. Well, it's also, I mean, I think so much of it comes. Look, this was for me. I knew I needed to get out of Martech because I was like, I can only sing the same song so many times. Like, how you know? Yeah. I mean, and I'd love to believe that each of the three Martech companies I worked at were vastly different, but they all sold to the same audience, and I was trying to convince the same group of people to do something. So it's nice to like go someplace totally new, and I'm sort of envious of yep. you to be, you know, in a market with an audience that's like not so jaded. I think designers, I don't think they're jaded, but I think like they are used to being marketed to and they are often creating things that are sort of market, you know, driven. So it's like they they get that. I think that can help you to like have some new ideas. Like these people have never seen this before. That's exciting. But the grass isn't always greener, right? Like on one side of the spectrum is jaded. The other side is skeptical. The more technical the buyer, the more skeptical they are. I was at a startup that sold to engineers and they were very apprehensive around marketing. And so one day he said to my CEO, I'm just being George Costanza. I'm going to do the opposite of whatever my instinct tells me to do because this persona is wired so differently than I. So we did this infographic that was how long does it take to build a mobile app? It was a big hit. It was a cover of Read, Write Web for like 24 hours, just dumping traffic on us. We intentionally bungled the design at the end. Like it was intentionally flawed design because I didn't want it to look so polished that engineers would think that this was like some shiny marketer. And when I read one of the reviews of it, it said, this is really good. I like the citations. Like we put sources all over it, but it still was a little polished. It feels like marketing, but that was the right instinct. The right instinct was to go in the opposite direction as we would for an audience that cares more about the packaging than the product itself. I listened to the sales team and I listened to the product team because they were closer to the persona than I was. So I would like to talk a little bit about like good marketing and good branding and good design. You sort of just touched on that. I mean, do you think these things are subjective or do you think there is a measure of objectivity and like defining what good looks like, good marketing? Over time, they more closely resemble objective. Like I believe in the Hollywood adage that all acting talent gets discovered when is random, but that it will get discovered isn't. And I believe that over time, a good marketing program with consistently good content, with consistently good execution, consistently good creative, over time, it's going to win. Now, will the best piece be discovered right away? No. Not necessarily. Like we did this unbelievably creative piece when I was at Convey that I just loved. And like I fell in love with our own asset and it was a 
total disaster. It was all based on tarot cards. And it was like this whole deck of tarot cards. And they were so beautiful. Our designer was like my favorite designer. And oh, he just you did have a good designer it. there. I remember. Yeah. Yeah, so, so good. good. It was so good. I didn't use him. I deliberately didn't use him for the stuff that we wanted to look kind of shitty <laughs> because like he was too good. But this, like he just executed it so beautifully and it was great creative, but it totally flopped. Well, you broke rule number one of marketing, which is don't fall in love with your own shit. You know? Don't fall in love with your own campaign. It's like the worst thing. I guess if I can find that. It happens to all of us, though. I mean, there's just some things that you're so proud of. You know, I went through the process of rebranding a company, and I'm still so proud of all the work that we did and all the thought that went into it and all this stuff. And it's like, you know, everybody's, it's like so far in the rearview mirror. Everyone's like, shut up about your rebrand. Everyone was super annoyed with me last year because we did what I thought was possibly the best holiday campaign that had ever been done. And at every opportunity, I talked about our holiday. And like, my CEO was like, you know, it's just a holiday camp. It's for the holiday. I'm like, I know, but it's like the one time as a marketer in B2B, you get to like do some really fun stuff, you know, fell in love with those things. Let's actually talk about brands. It's funny over time, I have become such a connoisseur of like branding and design. You know, I'm married to an artist. So like, I've always kind of been interested in design, but like, I'm so interested in like, what makes a brand and what good brands do well. Because for me, it's like, it's everything. Sure. You can look at the like surface level things, the aesthetic things and like all that stuff. But for me, it's like, and I think it's what it should be. It's the whole experience. And so I'm just like obsessed with that. I'm constantly like checking it out. And, you know, I do think the best brands for me, I had to have a good experience. Like I'm very loyal to Amazon because I live so far outside the city. There's no grocery store in my town. I have little kids. Amazon, shit just shows up at my house. It's magical. And if it doesn't, like the next day they have corrected that problem. Like they take the feedback and they actually like do stuff with it. And I'm, I'm super loyal. Like I have to have that. The great experience has to be part of it. That's like table stakes. And then it's like, what's the icing on the cake? Like how do they think about whatever it is, creative and, and all that stuff. So what is it for you when you think about the best brands? Like what do they do really well? Like what are you loyal to and, and why? They put the word modern in front of what they do. And that does it for me. Kidding. <laughs> I know you're kidding. It's like they allow me to relay their story. Yeah. So my older son, he's 10. And his favorite football players, he never saw play. His favorite baseball player, he yeah. never saw play. But he hears me talk about Pedro Martinez. He hears me talk about Barry Sanders and Walter Payton. And he loves these yeah. guys because like, their story reaches him and excites him and he asks questions about them and he can build them up to whatever he wants them to be in his mind. And the same brands do something similar. Like there's a brand I love, Cotopaxi. They make outdoor equipment, but their story is great. Like a lot of their signature look is this sort of madras look with all these different colors that are like randomly stuck together. And why is it random colors? Well, one, it's all remnant materials, so they don't have enough of any one color. Two, the actual seamstresses who make it are allowed to do whatever design. They're empowered to create whatever design they feel like. So there's a little bit of a person's signature on it, and that becomes a story you can tell. The other part to it is their marketing is made up of these like local 
questables, they call it, but these local festivals where people that like their gear go out and hike and hang out together. I'm not that outgoing that I would do it, but I think it's charming. I definitely have a problem with the word questables, but outside of that, okay. So hang on, I want to know though, do you know a lot about their story as a byproduct of coming to love their brand or is that why you love their brand? I saw this stuff, the merchandise, and it caught my eye. And then I looked it up and then they did really great retargeting. And they followed me around and unrelentingly. And I picked up bits of the story and I was like, wow, this like really speaks to me. That's cool. All right. Give me another one. What else you got? Again, there's a story involved. I don't own their product yet, but there's a ski company here in Massachusetts called Parlor. Why is it called Parlor? Because they opened it up in the back of a funeral parlor. That was the only place they could rent at the time. Guy was a former ski racer and he just like decided to open up a ski manufacturer in the back of a funeral parlor and make these artisanal skis that are like, you can design your own. If you want to make your own, he'll teach you how to make your own and you can like roll up in his place and he'll teach you how to make your own ski. It's really cool. Yeah, I can see like in the two stories you just told, you like that, like that authentic, touch it with your hands. It's unique craftsmanship kind of thing. Like you skew that way. And they're participatory, right? Like, you're part of the brand. If you've recovered from COVID-19 or unknowingly been exposed to it, you may have antibodies that could help COVID-19 patients. Donate blood and receive testing for COVID-19 antibodies. Visit vitalent.org today. What about B2B? Now, I know B2B is not like the place where you look to for like unbelievable inspiration from a brand perspective, but like who do you think's doing it well and what are they doing that's different? You talked about Doug and... Everything Doug touches, at least the expression of that brand for the purpose of his activity is excellent. Like Doug Doug just nails it. Founder and creative director of Velocity Partners, who is also on my podcast. He really is a magician. I know. Yeah, it's special. This is going to be really a silly answer. But like I joined Pendo because I wanted to work at Pendo. I was close with some of the founders. I was close with the CMO, Jake. And I just always wanted to work at the company. And one day I was like, why don't I work at Pendo? Like, that's where I want to be. And I had drinks with Todd at Saster. And I was just like, let's make it happen. And that was brand. Like, it's funny that I own brand now, or I'm like partially responsible for I technically do, though brand's a team sport. But that's what attracted me to join the company was like, that's where I wanted to be. Yeah, that's super cool. I'm in a similar place. It's like when you leave a job in our position where you're, you know, you have some options. Everybody's like, what are you going to do next? What do you, and I was like, my answer was like, I want to do something outside of MarTech to make sure that I know how to do that and to try to like flex some muscles that maybe I hadn't in a while. And, you know, you look around and it is hard in B2B. I mean, I think there are some companies that get it and, and invest in it the right way. What was interesting to me about Envision was how much of a like lifestyle brand they had built as a software company. I mean, like for product designers, like they look to envision as sort of the source of community and content and like all this stuff. And I'm like, God, that's, that's so cool that you were able to do that and make it a cool thing and also sell software on the side. Right. So that's important. You know, it's funny. I remember when we were rebranding Path Factory, which had been called Lookbook HQ and, you know, I joined there really early and I was bullish on it. I was bullish on what they were doing and the value of it and, and the idea of it. But I felt like the old brand was just such baggage. And we actually worked with Doug Kessler on the renaming of Path Factory and the identity and 
he came back with like a million names, like all just a million names. And I, and I liked a lot of them, but I remember when we kind of got to that point where we were all like feeling like, yeah, Path Factory, that's it. I remember saying like, I want to work at that company. That sounds cool. That feels like a cool place. I can imagine it being really, really awesome. And it's cool to see that come to life, you know? And that's where like, you know, N equals one is still a reliable signal. Totally. Is when like you could imagine wanting to work there. Yep. You know, you're not always going to know the persona you sell to. And the further the persona gets from you, the less reliable like your personal signal gets. But when it comes to the employer brand, like N equals one is pretty reliable. Totally. And I actually, I mean, I think I quote you on this a lot and it's, you helped me to get more comfortable. I mean, again, coming from my background, I was always looking for causation. I always wanted to see the straight line from here to there and you did this and this is what happened. And I've gotten so much more comfortable with correlation. I mean, when I had to defend the rebranding of that company to our board of directors, like I couldn't point to some like magical thing that was going to happen. I just felt deep down that like it was going to make stuff better. People were going to like us more we were going to be able to build that kind of affinity that we had struggled to build as Lookbook. And I've just gotten, you know, in it, in these squishy areas and the soft areas, I've gotten so much more comfortable with that sort of correlation and just feeling like deep down that it's like the right thing. I think that counts for a lot, especially if you have good instincts. And over time, given enough time, correlation and causation can become indistinguishable from each Absolutely. other. Absolutely. You know who else has done a great job with brand for a totally different reason is Open View Ventures. Oh, totally. I agree with that. These guys compete with like, you know, growth stage is a tough racket and you're competing against really big checks and they don't have the same size fund as like the Sequoias and the Andreessen's of the world. And they're investing a lot at the same stage. And so what they did is initially it was content and now it's product led growth, but they, they like declare a major. They have a point of view. Point of view. And they publish it, you know, inexhaustively. Relentlessly, yes. It. And they don't get sick of their own story. Like a lot of marketers get tired of their own story prematurely. Like they they're like, ah, that's old. And meanwhile, it's been out for six weeks. And you know, a tenth of a tenth of a tenth of a percent of the world has ever seen it. And yet they get bored of it, so they move on. And now you get stuck in this uh, idea hamster wheel that you can never get off. But open view doesn't do it at all. They form an opinion, they have a point of view, they care deeply about something, and then they ride that message for as long as it's viable. And they're doing it with PLG now. It's such a great example. And I mean, think about how many people they have touched an influence that are so far beyond their like immediate market. I mean, it's right, like you're not a CEO and yet you know who OpenView is. And it's that. I think if I had to point to the one thing, because brand can be this amorphous, squishy thing. You're like, what is it? Like what makes a brand? And it's it's point of view. It's literally like we know exactly what we stand for and we're going to be ruthless about how we push that point of view. And I think that's like such a good lesson in there for so many companies that I've seen do that wrong. Yeah, that's a great example. All right, so I want to thank you very much for being with me. This was a lot of fun. I knew it would be fun. We're good at witty banter, you and I. We're both from Rhode Island. I feel like I should point that out. It's like- Who has a stronger accent? I want people to vote on that. You definitely do, 100%. Do I? Yeah, you do. Oh. It's like, I mean, it's very subtle, but it's 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 there when you get oh, excited. That um, I always have to point out I'm from Rhode Island, like, because it's like being kind of like part of a cult a little bit. You're like, eh, part of the cult of people from Rhode Island. You say Rhode Island's like a Rhode Islander. Oh, yeah, totally. And we we have our own things, our own set of things, coffee, milk, pizza strips, all these weird things, and only in Rhode Island. So in the last second here, 
what advice would you give somebody coming up in marketing? Like, you know, somebody new, somebody smart, somebody, you know, trying to figure out the, the mark they want to leave on the world. Like, what do you wish somebody had told you? Yeah, I think you have two paths. This is a little bit Boston of me, but like I called it in my old company, you can be an 11 or a 12. You can be Julian Edelman or Tom Brady. You can be like the most versatile person, play every position, be 80% as good at somebody world-class, but in multiple roles. And there's always a role for you because like there's always something new in marketing that somebody's got to figure out. And if you can be the Johnny on the spot that can figure that out and get that program off the ground and like if it resonates, either become the clear cut best in the world at that or hire somebody and you move on to the next. But like there's always a need for somebody that's hyper versatile and like the strength is in never declaring a major. The strength is in remaining versatile or you got to be the best in the world at one thing and you got to really hope like hell that one thing has staying power. And then just never get old. <laughs> don't, don't get old. And then don't um, be the grandfather of it. That's, that's right. No, I think that's good advice. I think that is good advice. I think you're right. And I think also at some point, those things can converge. Like, I think that you can be this utility player who shows all the strength. And like, at some point, that's your strength. I don't know. Like, and you can evolve yeah. and like transcend, right? One of the best colleagues I've ever had is a professional utility player. And now she's VP of marketing. But she's VP of marketing that has like a really diverse skill set. Like she can build a demand gen program, but then she can go over and like handle the SDRs and sales enablement. Well, and I think the challenge is when you are that person, and I tend to think of myself a little bit more like that, you have to resist the urge to like get handsy with it and get super involved. That's the problem, right? When you're like, oh, I know a lot about all these things. The next thing you know, you're like, you know, spread a mile wide. So I like that. I like that. I like that strategy. Well, thank you for speaking to me today on the podcast. It was a lot of fun. Thanks, Elle. Yeah. And Joe is a really fun person to follow on social media. It's actually funny. I don't do Twitter anymore. I try hard, but I just can't do it. But every time I go on Twitter, like you've just said something hysterical. I can like get your platform for just like one-liners. Is that is that fair? I'll be sad when Twitter's gone because it's like the only social network I like. Really? So brief. All right. Well, thanks. Let's do this again. All right. I look forward to it. Thanks so much for joining me. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Joe as much as I enjoyed recording it. It was a really fun conversation. And I hope that you will join me again next time when I have Katie Martell on the show. Katie has been self-described as an unapologetic truth teller. And she is a really great source of information when it comes to really getting to the important matters in B2B marketing and what brands should really do to assert themselves in an age where authenticity really matters. So I'm really looking forward to having that conversation. Hope you'll join me again next time. You stay home for the greater good. Secondhand smoke doesn't. It drifts through cracks in walls, air vents, and sink drains, spreading toxic chemicals that can damage lungs. Secondhand vape also puts your lungs at risk, even with the fruity smells. Protect yourself and the people around you from these secondhand dangers. Learn how at tobaccofreeca.com.